I think national politics suck. We're currently in October of an election year. And when you didn't think presidential politics could get any more divisive than 2016, 2020 hit another level. And while this year is different for a lot of reasons, including a global pandemic and ongoing protests against police brutality for racial justice, aren't we all tired of campaigns designed to ignite fear and evoke hatred? It's why most of my life I didn't engage and talk about politics or why I would tell people I'm not political. That is, until a local election in my home city in 2019 changed everything for me. But what caught my attention with this election wasn't simply that it was local. What caught my attention with this election was that there would be a new mayor in my city for the first time in 34 years. This election represented the major turning point in my city's history that would shape its future, and I could witness it firsthand. And the more I dug in, the more I realized it represented the same turning point that our nation is going through collectively. A generational shift from old to new, from accepting how things have always been to aspiring towards a better future. Each week over the five episodes of this podcast, we'll tell you about the legend of Max Bacon, who stepped down after being mayor for 34 years. A runoff that surprised everyone. A 26-year-old candidate no one saw coming. A new mayor who won by less than 200 votes. And hopefully, by the end of it, you'll have an idea of what all this means for you and what you can do about it. You're listening to The Runoff, a podcast about a suburban city's surprising runoff mayoral election. The story about a city at a crucial turning point and what it tells us about the kind of difference we can make in our world. I'm your host, Chris Randazzo. Smyrna, Georgia is a suburb right on the edge of Atlanta's perimeter. With about 55,000 residents, it still has a small town feel. From the vantage point of Smyrna to the north, you can see Kennesaw Mountain, which is at the heart of Cobb County, home to a civil war battle, part of the more affluent suburban communities that formed as a result of the white flight from downtown Atlanta during the civil rights era. To the south of Smyrna, you can see Atlanta's downtown skyline, an urban, diverse community also known as the hip-hop capital of America. Smyrna is unique not only because of its geography, but because it embodies the cultural collisions of these two worlds, young and old, black and white, poverty and plenty. If you know anyone who's moved to Smyrna in the last five years, you've probably heard some version of this. At that juncture is next on our list, Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, the location itself is actually one of the reasons I love Smyrna. It's such a strategic location, right at 75 and 285. Super easy access into the city, Buckhead, Midtown. Uh, go east to Dunwoody. You can go west to the airport. You'd be at the airport in 15 minutes. It's just one of the most unique 
suburbs in all of Atlanta for what it has to offer and what you get for what you pay there, where its location is, all the amenities. So realtors speak aside, the influx of new young families, higher incomes, home prices doubling, poor families being pushed out, Smyrna is now faced with the challenge of what kind of identity it wants for the future. This question has created a tension in Smyrna's identity between what people refer to as old Smyrna and new Smyrna. And this is the tension in Smyrna that was felt by everybody because of this mayoral election. I think a lot of the the changes that we are seeing, right, in 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 kind of politics today, in the way people vote, in what people expect of corporations and 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 government, is 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 generational. This is Ryan Campbell, local business owner, a guy who grew up here in Smyrna, and someone who is a pretty big character in our story. As much as like people like to talk about demographics and the suburbs are going blue and rural or areas are going red and and you know people wanting more uh justice you know and environmental causes being at the core i don't think we necessarily always reflect on why that is right and what's happening right now not only in smyrna but across this country is a generational change in who is voting what motivates them to vote, and how they are voting. But one of the things that's starting to happen that's driving this generational change is that, you know, millennials in particular, people kind of within our age range are starting to have kids, right? Which all of a sudden means you have responsibilities, which all of a sudden means that you have to be more involved in your local government, right? And there's always been this question of, well, why do young people not vote or why is it taking them longer to vote? Well, it's very simple because they don't have responsibilities. And this is kind of new to Smyrna because I think this started happening in Smyrna, this kind of new wave of younger people moving in started happening in 2015 or so. And that wave has kind of been building and building and building. Okay. To quickly call out my bias, I'm part of this new wave. My wife and I moved here five years ago. We lived in apartments until we were pregnant with our first child and then went on to buy our first home in 2018. Now having two kids and a home is basically the definition of having responsibilities. So I reached out to my friend Aaron, who has lived here since he was a kid, before the new wave of families moved in and before it was trendy to live here in Smyrna. I went to King Springs and then we went to Griffin and then Campbell High School. Quick bragging rights for being a legit hometown resident, going all the way through the local school system. So, you know, there used to be Wills and there used to be Campbell. So where the Campbell High School is today um, was Wills High School and Nash Middle School. And I started going to Campbell, I think the year or two after they merged Wills and Campbell together and we became Campbell Spartans instead of Campbell Panthers. Aaron played football there, So he told his story about how years later, he helped raise money for the new stadium's press box. So I was a part of the the committee to go raise money for that. And so they told me to go to Howard's Restaurant, but Howard's Restaurant was like a staple in Smyrna. And so the old guard in Smyrna, like the old Campbell graduates that were like 60s and 70s and 80s, would get together for a breakfast every Friday morning. And so they said, hey, Aaron, go meet with these guys and see if they'll donate money to to the press box. And when I came and talked to them about it and everything, they said, you know what? <laughs> Most of them were kind of like, that's not Campbell. 
you know, that's the new Campbell. That's not the Campbell I went to. So they were like kind of not really interested in being a part of it. You know, it's, it was always funny to me to kind of see that tipping point in Smyrna of old Smyrna and new Smyrna. You know what I mean? And I always kind of identified more with new Smyrna, even though I've been here for 40 years. I also talked to Principal Ashley Mize, who lives a few streets down from me. All right. Well, my name is Ashley Mize or Ashley Bacon Mize. I am a lifelong Smyrna resident, uh, the daughter of Max Bacon. Max Bacon. Don't worry, we'll get to him. And I am a school leader in Cobb County. I'm the principal of Green Acres Elementary School in Cobb County, and this is my 24th year as a Cobb County School District employee. I asked Ashley what it was like growing up here in Smyrna. For people who haven't lived in Smyrna very long, it's incredibly different than it was, obviously, back in the 70s and 80s when I grew up. Um, It just doesn't even look or feel the same. Growing up here in Smyrna, I considered Smyrna like a town. Um, Everybody knew each other. It was small. You know, the most exciting thing that happened in Smyrna in the 70s and 80s was going to a Friday night football game at Campbell High School. I mean, that's what everybody did. (laughs) Yeah, and then hanging out at Howard's Restaurant after, which no longer exists in Smyrna, um, but was the place to go and hang out um, in the 70s and 80s. So, I mean, it's, you know, it was just a small town that grew into this, what I call a booming city now. Smyrna is definitely a booming city today. But while Friday Night Lights and get-togethers at Howard's Restaurant tells of the nostalgic memories of local residents, from an outsider's perspective, Smyrna was not seen as an appealing place to live. Most people considered it a significant downgrade from the neighboring city of Marietta. Even to this day, you can hear the resentful tone of a sibling rivalry when residents talk about Marietta. And Smyrna still has trouble keeping families here through middle school or high school because the schools in East Cobb are considered to be better. But perhaps the most fascinating story I came across to understand the outsider's perception of Smyrna back in the 80s came in a throwaway line in the 1988 July edition of National Geographic. Erla Zwingle, a researcher from New York, reported on the resurgence of Atlanta as evolving from a Civil War casualty to a premier city of the Southeast, an exciting business and cultural center. And right smack dab in the middle of this 26-page story is a line that may be the most impactful thing ever written about Smyrna. Erla wrote of Atlanta's self-hype, Quote, all the Balihu is the natural result of two things, Atlanta's youth and its southernness. No matter where I went, from redneck Smyrna in the northwest to downtown's Black Atlanta University to the old money bastions of Ansley Park, Atlantans describe their town indulgently as adolescent. End quote. Did you catch it? An article that literally put Smyrna on the map for all the world to see, characterize the city in one word, redneck. The residents here in Smyrna were so upset, the head of Smyrna's historical society at the time organized a petition to have National Geographic recant and issue an official apology to the city, an offer, for the record, they declined. 
So I asked Max Bacon about this article, who was mayor of Smyrna all the way back when this article was published. And, 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 and my position was, was, was pretty simple. Um, they don't know who we are. Uh, and we were right in the middle of the transformation. It just started the revitalization of the downtown. You know, they, they, they really just didn't know. So, But you know what? I'll be honest with you. At the time, that, that was that woman's perspective. When, when she drove down Atlanta Road, it was, it was absolutely, it, did look, it probably did look like a little redneck city. That was an individual from New, from New York that didn't know us. And um, that was her perception of smart as a little redneck city. Um, I wish she could come back now and look at it because it's, because it's changed. You know? The reaction of Smyrna to this article likely was the motivating factor for young mayor Max Bacon to see to it that Smyrna changed. Here is Ashley Bacon Mize, Max's daughter, on her dad's reaction to this article. What was here on Atlanta Road was you know, kind of dilapidated and you know, needed to be, you know, brought up to the times. And from that point forward, I remember my dad fighting for, we've got to grow this city into, um, into the eighties, into the nineties, and then into the, you know, the new millennium. And, um, you know, because of dad, they were able to make Smyrna a place where people want to live, you know, and, People are proud to say they live in Smyrna when back in the day, nobody really knew where Smyrna was or how to even say Smyrna. (laughs) So, who is responsible for taking redneck Smyrna and turning it into the booming city that it is today? Making Money Magazine's top 50 cities to live in in 2018? That would be Max Bacon the single most important person to the city of Smyrna since it incorporated in 1872. You just can't talk about the city of Smyrna long without talking about Mayor Max Bacon. Max Bacon was born in Smyrna. His dad was mayor before him, and Max himself became mayor in 1985, in which he went on to be reelected for 34 years running. Max is a living legend in the city. He's short, with a thick horseshoe mustache, but he is jovial, commanding, but never takes anything too seriously, except for his love for the city of Smyrna. His Twitter handle is at VoteBaconator, and you can find him seven days a week at one of the local bars at the Village Green. You know, I, I think government is always, a, you know, a lot about making sure you don't get too fat making sure that you, you know, always squeeze that hat off at Buffalo Nickel as much as you can and try to make sure that folks are happy with the services that you, that you give them, you know. And, and if they're happy with the services, then you've got a happy community. So. As one of the main characters in Smyrna's history, the more you understand Max Bacon, the more you understand Smyrna. I got interested in politics in uh, actually the, the 60s when my dad was in office, but I first ran in 1979 for city council. And uh, I remember my dad saying, hey, you're not going to win your first election. You may not win your second election. And uh, that just lit a fire underneath me. I worked so hard in 1979, and I got elected, went in office in 1980. A few years later, Arthur Bacon died while serving as mayor. This led the city to come around Max, 
who was already on city council as their natural next leader. I really didn't have any admiration to really be mayor. But then everybody sort of pushed me into it, said, you're the natural, you know. And so I ran for mayor. And um, after that, I think it was probably 11, 11 more elections because they were two-year terms. And uh, so I ran for mayor and was fortunate to get reelected every term. People used to ask me, uh, how long are you going to be mayor? And I, well, I would always say, well, I'm, until they figure me out. Once they figure <laughs> me out, they're going to throw me out of office. So I always joking about it, but... Max Bacon being mayor of Smyrna became the norm. It's what everyone expected. It's just what everyone knew. Which is why it shocked the city in 2019 when Max Bacon made the announcement not to run again. And this is where the story of the runoff really starts to pick up. Max made his announcement at the annual State of the City Address. Each year, it happens at the community center main gym. Picture the size of a high school gym, but it was packed a few hundred people. Now, typically, these aren't super exciting. They're more like an organization's annual review. What has the city accomplished? An overview of tax revenues, new businesses coming to the city, that kind of thing. Ryan Campbell, who you met earlier, was in the audience that day. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was in the same place as everybody else. I was in the the auditorium for the state of the city. I'll just never forget this moment. And Max kind of goes, he's on, you know, he goes on this kind of this, this reflection. He has this very reflective, like few minutes. And in my head, I'm kind of wondering where he's going with this. And I kid you not, as soon as he's like about to say, I'm not going to run for mayor of Smyrna again, the rain just starts falling. Right. And it was just kind of the most kind of surreal kind of thing. And by the time it's all over, the rain is gone. It's soaked outside. The sun's back out. There's always been this idea. I mean, for the last few election cycles that Max is going to run. Usually what happens is that it's out there. It's it's out there. And then, you know, at the very last minute, you know, he runs. And, you know, Max has been such a staple in the city of Smyrna that, you know, people just don't see the the election, if there really is one, as, you know, any kind of legitimate. You just kind of assume that Mayor Bacon was going to win. But when he announced at that time, I could tell he meant that he was not going to run again. And and I could tell that he was probably kind of torn about it, you know, because he I mean, he was being very re- reflective. But here is what made this announcement really crazy. No one knew he was going to retire, not even his daughter, Ashley. That day that I was in the meeting that caused me not to be able to go to his state of the city address, I kept feeling my phone vibrate. I'm like, what is going on? And when I stepped out of my meeting and all the messages came in, people were texting me asking if I was all right, if my dad was all right. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Well, I called dad and he said, well, I just announced I'm not going to run for re-election. And I said, what? You just told us you were going to run. He said, well, it just hit me. He said, I just knew it was, it was right. It was the time. You know, I, I was surprised. I was, I was shocked because like I said, he had already said, yeah, we're going to do this again and I'm ready to run and let's, you know, talk in a couple of weeks about what the election will look like. But then I guess, you know, you know, when it's time, you just know. 
But something I learned when talking to Max was he told me about two heart attacks he had in 2017 that slowed him down a lot. So building up to this election, this is how Max thought about it. I knew there was other people that had um, expressed interest in running for mayor. And you know what? And I thought, you know what? I can't do this forever. And I know, you know, my dad died in office, and I didn't want to die in office. And I, and 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 I had said all along, I needed to have the enthusiasm and the, the piss and vinegar to, to, to do to be the mayor. I didn't want to come in and just go through the motions. You know, I wanted to be enthusiastic, and and I'd gotten to the point where I was just sort of tired. You know. 34 years as mayor and six years on city council makes a total of 40 years of public service for Max Bacon to the city of Smyrna. Let that sink in a little bit. This was likely before you were born. To put it in perspective, when Max Bacon won his first public election in 1979, a gallon of gas was 88 cents. ESPN had its first broadcast. Sports, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with ESPN, the total sports cable network. Three's Company was the number one sitcom. The kisses are hers and hers and his, Three's Company too. And Sony introduced the Walkman. When he was elected mayor in 1985, the top three songs from that year were Careless Whisper by George Michael, Like a Virgin by Madonna, and the ever-popular Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. But remember when I said to understand Smyrna, you need to understand Max? Well, something you need to know about Max is that he is a pretty polarizing person. On the one hand, he's really friendly and outgoing, easy to talk to, charming, entertaining. Tons of people love him. On the other hand, some people saw him as domineering, head of the good old boys club, and referred to as Mad Max by some of his detractors. Current city council member Austin Wagner puts it like this. And, 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 you know, people have differing views of, of Max Bacon and his, his legacy, right? I mean, you can't ignore the impacts of what he's done, right? I mean, he was an old school guy, of course, and there's definitely things that I disagree with him on. But you can't ignore the legacy of what he helped lay the foundation of what Smyrna is now. Many refer to what Max did as the revitalization of the downtown. And everyone can see now what a good thing this has been for Smyrna. But at the time in the early 90s, most residents saw it as a destruction of the downtown they knew. And Max even told me one of the things he regrets was not putting it on the referendum so people could vote. He asked residents what they wanted and then made it happen. But everyone who was around at that time has told me how controversial this was. And that's Max all the time. Max is complicated just like the rest of Smyrna's history. And it didn't take long in working on this project about the election and hearing stories about my city that I started to hear stories of hurt, of pain, and disappointment. And much like I've been facing the ugly truths of America's history, 
as I know many of you have as well in regards to how the black community has been treated as less than. Shout out to podcasts like 1619 and Seeing White. There are ugly truths to face in Smyrna's history. And it's my love for this city, my desire to raise my family here that drives me to face it head on. So where does that lead us? It leads us to the story of one of Smyrna's poorer neighborhoods, Davenport Town and Rose Garden Hills, and an unbelievably racist ordinance in 1927. Here is local historian Bill Marcioni, who literally wrote the book on Smyrna, talking about that part of Smyrna's history. Uh, Smyrna in 1927 adopted an ordinance stipulating that no black family or person could live closer than 200 yards to a white family in the city. Now, that was on the books. They didn't enforce it. And my suspicion is that it was not enforced because many of the dwellings that blacks then occupied were in fact rental properties. And the owners of those properties would have suffered if the blacks had been pushed out in a more vigorous kind of way. But eventually they are pushed out. So by 1958, a headline appears in the Marietta Daily Journal saying that the last three blacks have been pushed out of Smyrna, that there are no blacks left in the same period. The mayor of the city is bragging that, you know, Smyrna has no black people. Now, where they're being pushed to, I can't say with absolute certainty, but Davenport Town is beginning to rise in population in that period. So at least some of them ended up in Davenport Town. So this bragging of Smyrna being an all-white city was really to market the city to the rest of Atlanta as an appealing suburb, which was perfect timing for the white flight happening in Atlanta during the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s, as white people fled to northern suburbs to find more segregated communities. Rose Garden Hills was built during this time right next to Davenport Town. It was designed to be a middle-class black community, but Bill Marcioni writes in his book how in 1969, the Smyrna City Council unanimously voted in a policy that these two neighborhoods, both Davenport Town and Rose Garden Hills, would never be annexed into the city, which is how by the 80s, the land surrounding these neighborhoods were annexed in, leaving that enclave separate from city services and without any voice. Smyrna remained this way until Rose Garden Hills was annexed in in 1983 due to the work of a pastor in that neighborhood, Reverend James Hart. And then what was referred to as the whole Davenport town was finally annexed in under Max Bacon in 1993. Now you might be tempted to think, Chris, that was almost a hundred years ago and it was included in the city 30 years ago. We've grown past that. However, This story connects all the way through to just a couple years ago. While Smyrna grew into a very ethnically diverse community in the 90s and 2000s, Smyrna didn't have its first black city council member until 2017, when Marilyn Blackburn won city council for Ward 3. When the opportunity presented itself for me to run for city council... That's Marilyn. But I was hearing a lot of, oh, my goodness, if you win, you will be the first African-American woman, or African-American to actually sit in that seat. So 
I started doing a little research on that. And that's when I found that I was not the only person of color that had attempted to be part of the Smyrna City Council. And that it seemed to be a situation where it was organized to to make sure that African-Americans were not part of this council. Well, that right there was like, oh, no, we can't have that. Because if I'm going to speak, I'm speaking on behalf of everyone, not just African-Americans, but everyone. And it would be an opportunity um, for we as African-Americans in the Smyrna community to have a voice as well, to be able to sit at the table. And I believe that my winning was because people believed in me and the voice that I was going to have at that table. We were, we're now at the table. We're not on the menu to be talked about. We're at the table to talk and have a discussion and say, this is what our community needs. And this is what we are looking for from our city. But it wasn't an easy campaign. As Marilyn shared with me some of the resistance she faced from some residents here. That one I remember in particular said to me, your kind is not welcome here. And that was really, that hurt. Because our kind, people. What are you talking about? Human beings. So you're saying human beings are not welcome here. And realizing that they're not talking about that, they were just talking about they were talking about African Americans. So again, it goes back to race and color. So I, I ran into some opposition, but because of my faith, I stood tall. And and just for clarification, like what year did you hear that? <laughs> wow. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Twenty seventeen. So we've got a city on the rise with a small town feel. It's grown a lot, but it still has a ways to go. A mayor who has led the city through four decades, from being a redneck town without appeal to a suburb of Atlanta that people can't move into fast enough. With Max Bacon retiring in 2019, that meant Smyrna would elect its new mayor and begin the new chapter that would shape Smyrna's future. The only question? Who? No, no, I knew that Derek Norton, that he wanted to run very bad. And uh, as a matter of fact, Derek and I had had some conversations about, you know, would I support him if I didn't run? I told him, yeah, because he had been he had been on the council. He was mayor pro tem. And uh, then it turned out to be a couple of other folks that, that ran. One who I knew, knew very well, too, uh, Steve Raisin. Uh, and the other candidate I'd never even heard of. Max may not have heard of that other candidate. But I'll give you a hint. You already have. That's next time on The Runoff. This podcast was created by me in partnership with Walker Scar and Jordan Craig. Our original music was written and produced by Marco Randazzo. Our executive producer is B.T. Harmon. Artwork designed by Mark Casper. Thanks to all our guests on today's episode. Anthony Laborde for his YouTube video, Max Bacon, Ashley Bacon-Mize, Aaron Carmen, Austin Wagner, Bill Marcioni, Marilyn Blackburn, and Ryan Campbell. 
This has been a Super Team Media podcast. And special thanks most of all to you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback as well as your stories. To connect with us, you can follow and message us on Instagram and Facebook at The Runoff Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you're listening and share it with a friend. We'll be back next week with episode two. That's it for me. I'm your host, Chris Randazzo, reminding you to slow down, show up, and vote.